Okay, so the letters keep coming in. You guys keep writing, uh, which I appreciate. And uh, we're going to keep opening the show with a letter from you uh, to show you that we read them and we care. Okay? Um, And uh, you guys seem to be enjoying uh, the opening letter maneuver. So we're going to keep doing that maneuver, uh, like, for example, right now. This is from Caitlin from New York City. Dear Alex, I love Stereo Embers, the podcast. The interviews are fascinating, engrossing, and lively, and you are such a great host. By the way, um, the such, all in caps. Really, you are such a great host that every single person you talk to reveals interesting layers about themselves that they seem to have never talked about before. Bravo. My favorite episode so far was your conversation with Rihanna. You brought out a sophistication and a playful sexiness in her that was just a joy to listen to. Keep up the great work. Love, Caitlin. Ah, Caitlin, that's a lovely letter. I'm so glad that you enjoyed the podcast. I'm so glad uh, that the show is resonating with you and uh, you're a faithful listener, and I'm very appreciative of that. But uh, I do want to point out, and and this is just a small thing, uh, Caitlin, no big deal, just a little something, uh, but... uh, I've I've never interviewed Rihanna. <laughs> I'm not sure what you heard, but uh, that never happened. So the sophistication and playful sexiness that you heard in her uh, was not uh, something I I did. Now I think I could probably do that <laughs> if someone gave me a chance. I would try really hard, uh, especially to bring out the playful sexiness. Sophistication, we'll get to that, but the playful sexiness that would be. First and foremost, on my mind, uh, if I was interviewing Rihanna. But Caitlin, uh, that that wasn't me, and that wasn't this show. But uh, I'm glad uh, whosoever show that was. Does Rihanna even do podcasts? Uh, but uh, anyway, whosoever show that was, Caitlin, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, but it, it wasn't wasn't me. Okay, I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. It really is. This actually really is. Stereo Embers, the podcast. I don't know what uh, alternate reality uh, Caitlin is listening to our show in, uh, but boy, we're getting some good guests over there. All right, so that's cool. We got a great one today, too. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
my guest today on the program, Ellen Starsky. Let me tell you a little bit about Ellen Starsky. I've always felt that it's fun to watch an artist evolve. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you get turned on to a band or a singer-songwriter, and you kind of develop a relationship with their growing aesthetic. <laughs> now that I'm saying that out loud, it sounds, uh, you know, not very healthy, uh, Your Honor. But you know what I mean. You grow as they grow. And as they deepen artistically, there's a certain kind of reward that you get from having witnessed this transformation from the very start. Well, this artistic evolution I'm talking about doesn't usually happen all at once. Typically, it occurs naturally over the span of several albums or movies or books. But in the case of Nashville singer-songwriter Ellen Starsky, it's happened over the course of just two albums. Okay, let me explain. The Pennsylvania-born Starsky put out her debut record, The Days When Peonies Prayed for the Ants, back in 2018. A stirring collection of indie folk and orchestral pop, Starsky's first effort sure was a moving one, and it brought to mind Bob Dylan's Desire, Leonard Cohen's Songs of Leonard Cohen, and Patty Griffin's One Thousand Kisses. So yeah, she started rather strong, but she didn't stop there. Starsky's sophomore album, Sarah's Half-Finished Love Affair, is a gripping song cycle about memory, longing, loss, and the wingspan of desire. Quite simply, this is a beautiful and deeply affecting album. Now, remember that thing I talked about, about artists and their evolution? Well, Starsky demonstrates here that an artist whose career is just taking flight can be experimental and inventive, and those innovations not only make the work stronger, they separate her from the pack. A collaborative effort with her husband and her dad, Starsky's album is quite easily one of 2020's very best. This is a great chat. Ellen Starsky is a lovely person to talk to, and I hope you enjoy it. So here we go. This is me and Ellen Starsky, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. organized person in your life are you pretty organized no <laughs> not at all um I I try to be I truly do but um I feel just inspirationally like things come to me in such different ways and I feel that uh nature and um just the earth patterns and things that go on affect me so deeply that it's hard for me to be organized if that makes any sense at all it does. Do you mean that you're that you're sensitive to the changes around you? One hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Even the moon phases. I. I know that the moon affects me. Um, storms affect me. Uh, and, and like I said, whenever you talk about being organized, I do. I try to keep my home as organized as possible. But whenever it comes to my thoughts and the way that I work in an everyday situation, I. I would. Yeah, I'm not very organized when it comes to that. Do you think that for creative people, because I'm a writer and I, and I can relate to this, do you think, I know some people who have to have like a clean house before they can be creative. Um, I'm not like that. <laughs> are, are you, by the way, does your workspace have to be, like, does your living space have to be clean and tidy for you to be able to create sort of unencumbered? Absolutely not. Um, I prefer. <laughs> I like you, Ellen. Have... I like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I prefer um, 
you know, these months, the winter months, I like to have, we have a natural wood burning fireplace. So pretty much most days of the week, I have a fire going. And a lot of people don't like that because of dust and, and different things that they have to contend with. But that is, um, it's those types of things that I find to be cleansing for a space to be creative in. And so, you, so really for you, it's more elemental than anything else. Well, yeah, that, that also, but I mean, whenever, I mean, if you were to sit down at my computer as well, like, um, if someone would walk in, they would probably look at it and be like, wow, this girl's totally disorganized. But when it comes right down to it, everything has its right place. I know exactly where it is. It's just like, uh, there's a method to the madness kind of thing. Yeah, there's order in the chaos. Totally. Absolutely. My mom uh, was a therapist and she would have stacks and stacks of articles like it looked crazy but then she could literally pull from the stack the specific article that she article she's referencing in a conversation and you're like how did you do that yeah see she and i would get along just fine and i would yeah. know better than to ever disturb her workspace right there is a kind of in in what looks to normal people <laughs> like disorder for an artist <laughs> it, it, they're they look at it a totally different way one hundred percent. And I do believe that there's people out there who are more business oriented that kind of have the same thing. Mm. They every, everyone has their own way of, of, of doing something and um, to be nonjudgmental of that and to be accepting, I think, is the key to it all. I agree. When for you, did you self-identify with being a musician? Like when did that when did you say that is my identity? That's who I am. I'm not going to be a stockbroker. <laughs> Um, well, I'd say that was a very young age. Um, not sure exactly, but I started writing, you know, when I was probably 13. I mean, if, if you go back and look in books where I just would like doodle down little thoughts and they were a little kitschy, but you know, like I was onto something at 13 mm -hmm. and then I was always very into music. So I started putting those thoughts to melodies. And then I learned to play the guitar when I was 19 and just kind of blossomed through that, really. I mean, I went to college and um, studied, but into my third year, I decided oh, I'm going to sing in, in bands instead of study. So I guess it was really around that time that I, the revelation happened, like, oh, this is, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, so I guess in my early 20s. Was that something that when you saw your friends around you going, uh, you know, more conventional career directions, was that scary for you and and how did you find the confidence to just say look this is this is the way it's going to be hmm. um i don't know if it was per se scary but i knew i knew that i was different <laughs> if that makes any sense that yeah. they were they were very focused in that way whenever it came to college and i i had something to prove whenever i was studying because i was such a terrible student in high school that I wanted to prove that I could do it somehow and I was doing that but deep down innately I knew that there was something I was supposed to do that that wasn't so much along those career paths that my friends were taking at that time and to overcome the fear that it, like I said I don't really think it was fear um, there was definitely I think there's always been insecurities involved with it but I I just um I just keep going somehow. I just, I just, this is what I want to do. Tell me where you were in school and tell me what you were studying. I was studying, I am 
was majoring in anthropology with a minor in ceramics. Okay. And I went to school at Clarion University in Pennsylvania. Which sounds like a small liberal arts school. It was, yes. And it's still beautiful. I'd love to go back there any day and live. It's just gorgeous. And so were you like playing guitar in your dorm room? And is that how you were nurturing the musical side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny to think back on that. Uh, my father gave me his guitar to take to college with me. And I started learning chords and writing songs like almost immediately whenever I picked up that guitar. And that's where I, where I would spend a lot of my personal time. You know, if I wasn't studying, I was writing. Were your parents supportive of you deciding to go the direction? And I know you ended up, you know, ended up writing songs with your dad. Um, so I imagine he probably was on your team. Uh, but how was that initially when they first realized, like, you weren't going to be an anthropologist? <laughs> well, I think they kind of, <laughs> down inside, they knew. You know, I'm, I'm their daughter, and they know me very, very well. And they've watched me grow from that, that baby into who I am today. And I feel that, that like I said, innately, they knew that um, I wasn't going to be an anthropologist. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, good try. Here's a guitar. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that was a little bit of it. Um, I, I think you can do it. I don't, I don't feel like there was ever like, oh, you can't do this kind of thing. Right. But there was definitely like, but this is more you kind of thing. Did your parents have cool records that like when you were growing up, were you going through their records and finding like really cool stuff? You know what? Whenever you bring that up, the first thing that I think of, there were so many, but there was one whenever the Eurythmics came out with, um, here comes the rain again. Yeah. That song. I remember listening to that song. I would just pick up that needle and put it on over and over and over again. Annie Lennox just blew my mind. How she's amazing. Like, how would you describe yeah. that voice? That voice is like a force of nature. Three dimensional, right? <laughs> like yeah. I, I really don't have a great answer for that one. Just total beauty, pure beauty. And what's interesting to me, and this is what I want to talk to you about with your own work is that, I love the Eurythmics, but I love the later Eurythmics where they start to get a little bit rootsier um, and a little more stripped back and moved away from the synthy kind of stuff. And the evolution of that band is really interesting to listen to. And for you, you've done it in two records. It took them like seven. Uh, I love your first album, but this record sonically is so, there's so much evolution going on here. Um, can you talk about how the sound changed and did it surprise you that it ended up going the direction that it went um well no I, I don't think it surprised me I knew what I wanted initially with the first album but I had to nurture that artist inside of me I had just become a mother and um Anne McHugh was a wonderful mentor took me under her wing and showed me and taught me so much about recording and writing and the music industry but with all of that happening, I was also, um, you know, a first time mom and I had all of this going on. So when I approached this album, I started thinking about all of the influences that really, really hit me hard um, as, you know, a younger, a younger woman and Sarah McLaughlin and Tori Amos and Radiohead and Beck and all of those people are truly the artists that have shaped me over the years. 
so whenever we started approaching this material, those were my references. And Max Hoffman and Lucas Morton, the, uh, Lucas is the one that I first approached about producing the album, and he brought on board Max Hoffman. And the two of them totally understood what I was going for. And we just flew with it, you know. And, and whenever things started to unveil themselves in that pre-production process, I was, um, I was moved. I was truly moved to tears with that first song. I was just like, my goodness, it's actually, it's actually happening. You know, mm -hmm. everything I've ever heard is actually happening. Being an, it's, it's hard enough to be brave enough to be an artist. And then to sort of, to be an artist who is someone who makes brave decisions in their art is a whole other layer. Um, you know, do you feel a kind of fearlessness about sort of attempting things or is there ever moments where you go home and you think about it, uh, you know, and, and you have this kind of doubt about the direction and you go, God, I don't know, is that the right way to go? Like, how do you, how do you handle those kinds of choices? When it comes right down to it, like, I, re I really feel like I have to be true to myself in this whole process. And if I'm not true to myself, then what's the point, you know? Right. So right. with that being said, like, sure, I have my doubts. I think every artist has doubts. Every human has doubts in their daily life process but we have to overcome them. And I've, I've actually done a lot of spiritual work in this past year with yoga and meditation and different things that have helped me a lot with when it comes to bringing those things home. Like, okay, stop, you know, be in the moment. What you're doing is who you are and accept it and kind of float on. Is it also an element of sort of stop, stop trying to control the future that hasn't even happened yet? Right. Yeah. I'm I'm really very much learning to live more and more in the moment and trying to appreciate the moments more and more. And don't get me wrong, I'm I have not mastered them at all, but I'm definitely aware of that and and the joy that it can bring. I was talking to um Casey Clifford, who's a singer-songwriter who's marvelous. And she's a mom. And she was talking about how um when she became a mom, that she was sort of like had put not put music down, but she wasn't recording for about seven or eight years, and she wasn't who she you know she didn't know who she was as an artist anymore. Now that she was a mother, did you were you able to sort of keep those identities separate, or did you find that they kind of blended together the the life you know the motherhood and being an artist, and was it hard to sort of juggle the two and have find that balance? Um, with the first album, I believe that there was definitely a blend between motherhood and music. And I'm very, very grateful and um, that it happened that way. But with this album, I was definitely able to separate the artist from the mother. And uh, it was it was pretty, um, I don't want to say enlightening, but enlivening in a sense, you know, because I don't want I want to focus on her in her own way, and I want to focus on my career in another way, and not intertwine the two at all. He was older, cooler, and ultimately wiser. Handsome, he had gray hair and dirty blue jeans. She was too young, sad, and definitely doe for what? Could she do the man swept her off her feet? Separating by time, fourteen years. Separating by time, she didn't seem to mind. Separating by time. 
chanced it through doubt and backward superstition, relying on the notion that luck was on the side. They danced and drank away that Pennsylvania summer under moonlight in a place where bonfires grab at the skies. Separating by time, fourteen years. Separating by time, she didn't seem to mind. Separating by time, the old folks rolled their eyes. Separating by time, and nobody felt it more than. Take me through that. So let's say you're at the studio, you're doing work, right? And then you come home. Because how do you, how do you turn back into Ellen, who's a mom? How do you, how does that, does it take you a couple of minutes? Like, how do you transition from one to the next? Well, the studio was quite a different scenario. Um, only because I, I my, like I said, my whole family's in Pennsylvania. So they were helping me with, with my daughter while I was, recording, which was a huge help. And I was able to separate myself for a couple of weeks while we were doing that. And um, other than that, I've really not spent any time away from her. And I guess the only thing that is a little bit hard to juggle is just the day-to-day business stuff, like music business and being a mother, just trying to be that independent entity. That's, that's the only thing that's really a little bit tricky. And how do you how do you navigate that that work? Because you're right, like that that is a lot of work. Totally, yeah. Um, well, um, that's kind of a hard question. I I'm really not sure how to explain it, but we live um, our lives in a very uh, mother daughter husband relationship kind of way, and we mm-hmm. it just works out for us. This is just the way we do it. It's interesting because I think that sometimes it can be overwhelming where it's like, you know, musicians nowadays, like, for example, you mentioned the Eurythmics, like Annie Lennox, all she had to do was like, you know, make the make the art, which is a huge undertaking, tour the album and do the interviews. But now it's sort of like the businessy side of it now falls into the lap of the artist to sort of like orchestrate things on their own in many ways. Um, so there's a, mm-hmm. there's a demand to also run the run the business as well. 
Right. I'm fortunate enough to, um, I worked with a really um, professional, like beautiful team of artists with this album. And I have a manager. So that really helps me with this whole process and being able to remain who I am at home and who I am whenever it comes to the art. And what about the actual, the, when you're in terms of creating, um, when you are, you know, when you sort of reach that flow state where you're writing a song and you can literally, a bomb could go off outside and you wouldn't hear it. You're just in that place. Um, you know, how do you access that place? Like, do you say to yourself, okay, I need my daughter's in bed, I'm sitting by the fire. Now is the time. Or is it one of those things where you have to pull over on the side of the road and go, I got an idea. Like how, how can you orchestrate that or, or, or sort of telegraph it? Well, the way that I see all of that is it's very sporadic with me, you know, like you never know when it's coming or or when it's going. And sometimes you just don't get those ideas down, you know, and that's just the way that it's going to be. But sure. There's been moments where I've had to pull alongside the road and there's been moments where I've awoke in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, I have to get this down right now. You know, like we're going to have to like, and thank goodness for cell phones. Right. Because right. there's my little memo thing right there. And I'm just, I, I had this melody in my head and I'll just come up with some lyrics to fill it in. And then I'll, I'll um, reintroduce myself into to it in the morning and I can start working from there or, you know, when really whenever I don't, I don't feel um, oppressed by time at all. Like, as long as we can get that quick idea down, most of the time we're pretty safe. Because you can then build on that later. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's there. Like I said, cell phones, I'm, I mean, they're, they're good in some ways. <laughs> yeah, they are. They really are. <laughs> um, and when you are, and also there doesn't seem to be any pressure to say, I'm working on a song. I need to finish this song today. In other words, you sort of say, it's like, I'll, I'll get to it. Like, I'll keep building it. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the songs come out quickly as well. Um, there have been some like, well, well within, for instance, with this album, I co-wrote for the first time. And that was really a different experience. I've, I've never done that before. And liberating a little bit, um, letting, letting go of the control of a song was a little bit hard for me. But at the end of the day, it was, it was what they really were calling for. So half the, half the songs on the album were co-written with um, another songwriter whose name is Michelle LeBlanc. And she, um, she's been wonderful. So it's kind of nice that in these artistic communities to have someone to lean on that, that kind of, hey, we have the same kind of outlook on things. Let's, let's see what we can come up with. Right. And, and having not collaborated before, I can understand how that process at the beginning, you must have been like, yeah, but then when you let it go and you let the collaboration happen, did you find that you actually were a pretty good collaborator? Did you like that whole process? I I, I really think I was very fortunate to be uh, honest because Michelle walked in and it was like a sister. I was like, oh, I know you. <laughs> and there, there, was nothing, there was nothing odd about it. You know, it wasn't like I was like uh, in a room with three other people co-writing and trying to just crank out a song. It was like a, we knew each other on a spiritual level, which was really cool. How did you get linked up with Michelle? My manager, actually, Erin um, at Olivia Management. She recommended that we work together. What about her do you think is so special? Like, what does she bring to the compositions that is so is so unique and so wonderful. 
Well, I, I honestly, like I said, I feel like she was a sister and she still is. Um, we still keep in touch and we're in touch on a different level as well. Like, um, like, like we were talking about the moon phases earlier and um, just different type of, of divinities. I, I feel like she and I are on the same page in a lot of those ways of looking at life. Now, tell me this. Tell me as a song cycle, um, how long was this project sort of germinating in your brain um, before you went to the studio and said, OK, let's let's do this? Um, how long were you carrying around the Sarah song cycle? Oh, goodness gracious. You know what? <laughs> this happened um, right after I released my first album, the first song came into my brain. And I was like, oh, really already? Okay, here we go. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was pretty much like I, I released that album and I had the first song for Sarah's Half-Finished Love Affair. Wow. That's really, that's really fast, Ellen. It was so fast. I know. <laughs> And I, I just wasn't really expecting it at all. Like, I actually played that song at the release show for the Peony album. Because I was like, oh, well, it's here. We may as well share it. I mean, that, I mean, the the speed. So what what I'm getting from you is that you're very open because it seems like when the muse strikes, you are receptive to receive it. Yes, I do believe that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible because it's like you've that first record is so specific. And then Sarah just sort of like stepped over the line and announced herself. <laughs> she, uh, she sure did. <laughs> and um, I'm really happy that she did because it's been very uh, freeing for me um, telling this story. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there, I wrote a whole storyline that is accompanying this album as well. I decided to accompany the album with Sarah's story and her being part of my subconscious and also the dance that she has with my subconscious. So what is happening is I've there's different places I've traveled throughout my life. And it's pretty much the first chapter was the first single. So pure intention. And then the next chapter, actually today we released um, uh, the satellite that changes tune with American songwriter. So today the second chapter of Sarah comes out and so on until the album's released, which will be the outro of the Sarah story. And Sarah as a character, do you feel you've known her for a long time? Yes, I do. And and I feel like she was, uh, whenever I talk about these different parts of the world that I visited there were definitely characters in those um, vacations or travels or whatever you want to call them that I can specifically recall seeing that have become Sarah in this story. Can you talk a little bit about how travel has informed you creatively beyond Sarah? I mean you you for you know the, the trips that you've taken again you seem like a person who's very open to experience and to inspiration. Um, how valuable has travel been uh, for the creative experience? 100%. I think it's one of the most important things to do in life. And without it, uh, I don't know where I'd be. Uh, the the trip to Nova Scotia that I talk about in the first and second chapter of Sarah's story was one of the most insightful trips I've ever had. And there's a certain home that I found there. And also, that's the first place that I learned to play an F chord on the guitar. Mm. So 
there's yeah there's all there's in in each moment you know there's I, I feel like traveling just brings out all of these opportunities for a person and I oh if I could travel all the time I sure would. <laughs> Why Nova Scotia? What was it that brought you to Nova Scotia specifically? Actually, yeah, I traveled there with my family, um, my sisters and my brother and my mom and dad. This is a funny story. I was, uh, I guess my dad brought out a map of like North America and said, okay, close your eyes, my mom, and just pick a spot with your finger and we'll go there. And she put her finger on Nova Scotia. So we all went to Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool yeah yeah my dad's pretty cool my parents are real cool your parents do sound pretty cool ellen like your dad gave you a guitar he took you to nova scotia just because someone pointed at a map there um yeah your, your parents uh sound like very cool and wasn't your dad part of the songwriting process for you as well yes i mean he's he's the one who taught me to play guitar and uh I don't play it well. Um, my husband is a phenomenal guitar player, so whenever I compare myself to others, I, I I use it pretty much as a vice to get the idea out. Where you know some musicians are just so um, trained at their at their skills, and that you know I just um I don't go that far with it. But anyway, yeah, he uh, he opened my eyes to a lot of different things, and that guitar, those trips, uh, yeah, he's a pretty amazing guy. Do you still have the guitar that your dad gave you for college? Oh well, actually, it's at my parents' house. It's a flambeau, and we got it in. You know, we got the guitar in Halifax, Nova Scotia. <laughs> you know, I had this romantic idea about Halifax because in the early '90s, I, I get into all these um, Nova Scotia bands. I got into this band from Halifax called Thrush Hermit, and they were like this indie rock band. They were on Electra in America, and the guy, the singer of Thrush Hermit, became this elder statesman is the wrong word because he's my age. Um, this guy, Joel Plaskett, he became sort of like the guy in Nova Scotia that sort of everyone thinks of as kind of a touchstone. Everyone knows Joel Plaskett because he's like the musical, the musical hero of, of Nova Scotia. So I always had this like romantic idea of what life was like in Nova Everyone knew Joel Plaskett. <laughs> so. Oh, it, well, it's such a magical city. I, I, it just seems like one of those places that's just kind of plucked out of time. And yeah, well, at least I mean, I haven't been there for a long time, but like, I just remember like walking down the streets and having those magical bookstores on corners, you know, where you walked in and you were just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I am in some type of whimsical fairy tale right now. Yeah. And there's something about, I'm just going to generalize, there's something about Canadians. The Canadians are so nice when you're, when you're visiting the country. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I know. I love Canada. I do too. Speaking of regionalism, did you grow up uh, aware of the Clarks in in uh, Pennsylvania? Yeah, Pittsburgh band. Um, I don't know, like I didn't follow them as much as my older sister did. She loved them. Her and her husband, pretty much. I think they still go to Clark shows whenever they like just kind of pop out every once in a while. They'll they'll drive down to Pittsburgh and see them. But um, there was that one song. It was like Penny on the Floor. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it. I just, um, I was kind of, I don't know, exploring different genres of music at that time. They're a huge Pennsylvania band. So let me ask you this. When you are playing live, uh, are you discovering anything about these songs that you didn't know? 
In other words, is there a discovery process that goes beyond having been the person who created the album when you are in a live setting? Are there insights that occur to you about these compositions that reveal themselves that kind of kind of are are kind of mind blowing? Well, with this work, the Sarah album, I haven't performed any of them live yet, so oh, oh okay, I'm, I'm still in the process of that. Um, we just actually planned the release show for May, and it's going to be here in Nashville, and it's going to be a second show in Pennsylvania for a hometown show. But I haven't done this music live yet, but I do like my mind is is taking it away with this one where I can see the showmanship a little bit more than I could with the first album. The first album was very, I felt ethereal in a way. And this one, I can just see a lot more going on with the presentation on the stage. You must be so excited to play these songs live. I am so excited. I can't wait. You know, in a live setting, I think they're going to be fantastic. Thank you. I, I think so, too. Um, like I said, Lucas Morton and Max Hoffman um, were phenomenal musicians who just helped me craft the songs and, and to what they what they are. And I think one of the things that we discussed whenever we were in the process of pre-production and production was that I wanted them, like... I, whenever like they would play like a bass line or something, I was like, I want the bass player to really enjoy playing this bass line, mm. you know? And I felt like they were really achieving that. So whenever we go out on the road, I want everybody to be happy. You know, that's really what I want more than anything. What do you think for you as a musician, Ellen has improved the most over the years? Like what, what do you feel most proud of has like, what skill have you really sharpened? Cause you, you could always sing beautifully and write songs, but what do you think for you has really become a, a new strength that you're especially really happy about? I'd say just chilling out, you know, like <laughs> I used to be such a nervous wreck. And just, um, these days I just, I don't know if it affects me way that I used to and like I said earlier like those practices like yoga and meditation and things of that nature have really just helped me become a little bit more centered as an artist and kind of able to just kind of process everything a little bit easier when you were nervous as a person would it manifest it like how would that how would that present itself like it would it just sort of yeah how was that physically like what what would it what would it be like um, sickening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, you just yeah, you, me personally, it became like a physical illness where I would just be nauseous and I couldn't eat, you know, and I'd have to be alone. And now I find that that's it's the complete opposite of that, you know, where I'm starting to open up more and I'm starting to recognize those things. Um, I guess I'm able to overcome them now, which is very, very, very helpful in this whole process. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like, and and that wasn't just confined to being on stage. That was just in general. Yes, one hundred percent. But then it would come out even more, you know, whenever I did have to perform. And yeah. don't get me wrong, there's still like times whenever I am still have my little nerve things going on, but it's nothing like it used to be. In terms of the future, it's one of those things where you don't think too much about what's going to happen if this happens. It's more like, again, getting back to what we were saying earlier about just staying in the moment and enjoying this right now. Absolutely. I, I feel like that's where the focus needs to be. And it's difficult at times to remain in the moment. But if we keep reminding ourselves, you know, be here now, 
it will happen. Well, you know, Ellen, I have enjoyed this moment very much. And I'm, I was Likewise. so excited to chat with you. And um, I appreciate you being so open and willing to sound a freestyle with me. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. It, it, it actually went really well, Alex. And I really like talking to you. I hope I get the chance to meet you. I hope so too. I hope you can make it out to San Francisco or I'll get over to Nashville. Um, but I just congratulations on a beautiful album and, you know, may you have a long and prosperous career and, um, and, and thank you so much for, for your time and for your willingness to answer my questions. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Well, there you go. Ellen Starsky. She's so sweet. And um, her album is so amazing. It's not out until May 8th, by the way. So the singles that you're hearing on this show are, uh, they're out, but the album won't be out until May. So when she gets famous by June, you can say, wow, I heard that interview all the way back in March. Boy, Alex, he's really on it. (laughs) I want you to say that, okay? Go to ellenstarsky.com, S-T-A-R-S-K-I, by the way, um, and uh, pre-order her album, Sarah's Half-Finished Love Affair. Uh, The album is fully finished, I should say. The Love Affair, are love affairs ever fully finished? I don't know. They never feel that way. They always feel so incomplete. Uh, AlexGreenOnline.com will get you all the information you need to know about me. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe uh, for free, by the way. Uh, Leave us a nice rating. Tell all your friends. Spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. Or you can email me at editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Let's close the show off with another new song from Ellen Starsky's new album. This is The Satellite that changed its tune. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. It's funny how you lost yourself while you were looking back at me. And now the barroom is your best friend, yeah, the place you find relief. I'm waiting on the outside under dark forbidden skies when all I have to do is walk right through and reach for the brand new high and i don't Sign.